Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Uh, If you got your Bibles, Acts 5. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 21 in, in, in a moment. Uh, my, my good friend, uh, a good friend of mine, Billy Bernhard, pastors uh, Axe Community Church in, in Pasadena. And, and, and crazy thing about Billy is he, he grew up uh, with a, a mom and a, a sister who, who were constantly telling him about Jesus. But, but somewhere along the way, uh, Billy ended up uh, running the streets of Southeast Houston. Uh, and, I, and I was actually, I, I called him this week to, to ask his permission to share a little bit of his testimony. But like Billy's highest ambition was to be like the top gangster on his block, right? Like this dude, uh, he just wanted to be feared. He wanted, he wanted to be, he wanted to be respected, uh, and, and so by the, his freshman year of high school, 14 years old, uh, he, he and his, like the crew that he was running with, they're getting in fights, they were carrying guns, they're, they were breaking into cars, uh, they were running from the police, in Billy's own words, he was terrorizing his neighborhood. Um, and so, so going into his sophomore year, by the grace of God, Billy ended up going to a, uh, and I think it was just because of the promise of like beach and girls, but he ended up going to a Christian youth camp at South Padre. So sophomore, going into his sophomore year of high school, he, he ends up at a, at a Christian youth camp in, in South Padre. And, and, and imagine this, okay? Youth camp preacher is, is preaching one night, mid-sermon, like hundreds of students, mid-sermon, Billy just raises his hand, like just, just hand shoots up in the middle of the sermon. Um, if you do that this morning, that's fine. I'm just going to assume you're pra- praising Jesus, okay? Uh, and so, so the, 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 the pastor, the camp preacher, looks and is like, uh, you know, what's, what's up? And Billy just says, yeah, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Middle of the camp. And, and, and the, the preacher uh, kind of looks around and he says, hey, uh, does, does anybody else like feel this way? Uh, is anybody else feeling the same, the same thing right now? And uh, several other hands went up. Just There were kids who were like, yeah, we're, we're ready to follow Jesus. Um, and the speaker, Billy said, yeah, the speaker just straight up said, well, I'm, I'm done. Uh, you know, mission accomplished, and so uh, just cut off his sermon, and they responded to Jesus. And so uh, to say that the gospel disrupted Billy's life, uh, to say that the gospel disrupted, like, Billy, like, the world around him um, would be an understatement. In fact, Billy, that fall, sophomore in high school, Billy started carrying his Bible every day to school. 
Uh, he, dude started getting up in the cafeteria and just like telling people about Jesus, <laughs> just, you know. Uh, and so in the 9 a.m. service, there were a lot of kids with families. Uh, and so I, I had to like PG it up. But basically, all his friends thought he was high, okay? They, they thought like this dude was on drugs, which, which ironically enough in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, uh, people thought Peter was on something too. Uh, and so uh, the gospel, the gospel has this way of disrupting things. Amen? Y'all can say amen. It's allowed. You can talk back. Okay? The gospel has this way of, of disrupting our plans. It, it, it disrupts the, the, the kind of the systems and in the status quo of the world. Uh, but the thing is, I, I feel like, well, not, not really. We, we do. We, we have this Americanized version of the gospel that we, we just kind of like uh, allow Christianity to sort of ease into our stuff. Uh, it just, there's, there's this Americanized version that just eases Christianity into our lives and, and, and brings it along as like a, a, like a substitute, right? Like, or, or like a supplement. Uh, like just, it's there for our benefit, but just to kind of come alongside the things that like our hearts are already pursuing, like wealth, uh, comfort, status, what, you know, self-glory, whatever you're going after, just add the gospel in. But that's, that's not what the gospel was designed to, to do. Amen? Like that's, that's, not, that's not what the gospel was designed to be. And, and, and we see it throughout Acts, but front and center, we see it in Acts chapter 5. Like the gospel flat out disrupts things. It just, it shakes the boat. And here's the question. Um, when the gospel is moving in people's hearts, the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and raised his righteousness, his righteous life in our place. When, when the gospel is moving in people's hearts and it's moving in, in your heart, stirring your own heart, the, the question is, are we going to get on board with that? Are we going to get on board and let God, and let God accomplish what, what he wants to accomplish? Are you going to allow that good news of Jesus to, to change and transform and just sort of rearrange your life? And so this one, I want, to look at, I want to look at three kind of gospel disruptions, three ways the gospel just sort of disrupts our stuff. And, and we're going to start in verses 21 through 25. But if you got your bulletin, first point is this, the gospel wrecks our control mechanisms and, and brings real freedom, okay? Uh, if you're new to RCB, uh, this, this is how we roll. I want you to look at your neighbor and just say, the gospel wrecks. I feel like we can do better. Look, look, at your, look at your other neighbor, don't spit because of COVID, and just say, the gospel wrecks. The gospel wrecks our control mechanisms and brings real freedom. So look at, look at verse 21, the second part of 21. It says, now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council. Like, we're going to talk about this. This is awesome. All the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were, we'll talk about this word, they were greatly perplexed, you think, uh, about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone, verse 25, came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing 
in the temple, and they're teaching the people. Sometimes uh, it, it's, it's good to, to put fresh eyes on Scripture. I know sometimes you're reading the Bible and we forget, one, that it's the Word of God, that it is God-breathed. But two, we, we, like, sometimes I, I think it's good to like, step back and just uh, allow yourself to experience the ridiculousness of this situation. Okay? Um, just, just step into this moment. The, the high priests and the Sadducees, these religious leaders, they think that they've got the apostles under their thumb. Like they think they've got them immobilized. They've got them, they've got them locked up. Uh, so, so the morning comes. And, and, and these guys, you know, they're getting out of bed. And keep in mind, like the apostles, they're already at the temple preaching. Like an angel has miraculously broken them out of, busted them out of prison. And like they've gone back to the temple where they were previously arrested for preaching. And they're preaching again. And so the, the religious leaders, they wake up. They get up, and, and you just get this picture. They, like, you know, put on, you know, their, their like, ostentatious robes. You know, they, they're, you know, they get all their gear on. They've got, like, their little phylacteries dangling down. If you don't know what that is, go look it up. It's ridiculous. Um, and, and I want you to see them, like, proudly strolling to their meeting place. Right, and, and so they 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 get all their they call all their little self righteous buddies together. Um, Acts five seventeen said that, that that they were the party of the Sadducees. But if you ever hung out with this many self righteous legalistic jerks, it ain't no party, okay? Um, and, and, and so once they all kind of get seated in their positions of of relative righteousness, I, I want you to just get this picture of them like seated in all of their get up and in all of their pomp and, and circumstance, you know, like, you know, calling for the prisoners, like, go ahead, bring them in here. So, you know, these prisoners that we've locked up so we can now judge them. Uh, only in verse 22, it reveals they're, they're not, they're not there. <laughs> um, prison was locked, verse 23. Guards are, guards are still on standby, um, but there's no prisoners. And so then you get to verse 24, and it tells us that the captain of the temple and the priests were, were greatly perplexed. I, I, I don't think the English word like does this Greek word uh, justice. Uh, in, in the Greek, it's this word diapareo, and it means, it conveys the idea to be completely baffled. To be completely baffled, to be totally confused, and at a one commentator said to be at a complete loss. Like these guys have like no, there's no, they have no compartment for what they're experiencing. And the irony of this is, if you go back to Acts five twelve through sixteen, literally, like for for the last several days, miracles have been happening all around them in the city, but these guys are disconnected from all that, so they, they don't even have a category for what's going on. Now, the people of Jerusalem, they're, they're like daily experiencing and becoming accustomed to the presence of God and the power of God through these apostles, but somehow these religious leaders missed it. And like, listen, they're genuinely surprised. Like, they have no idea what's going on. And nowhere in the text is there even a hint that they considered, hey, maybe something miraculous just happened. Hey, maybe we're on the wrong side of this deal. Um, but if, again, we talked about this last week, if, if you know the Sadducees, part of their deal, I mean, it, 
it blows your mind. They believed the first five books of the Old Testament, but they, they denied most of the supernatural. They denied the resurrection. They denied angels and demons. So, so I guess it, it makes sense that they didn't, they didn't have a category. But then in verse 25, check this out. Look at the text. They're hit with the news. The very apostles that they sought to silence, they're back. They're speaking. Check this out. Not only speaking the gospel, but they're back at the temple. The very place they were arrested in the first place. Uh, like you would think if, if somebody, uh, especially like an angelic, you know, being broke you out of jail, you're like, I'm going to leave town now. Uh, except, no, the angel told him, hey, go back to the temple and, and preach the gospel. David Peterson says this, because this, this is, think about what's going on here. David Peterson says, human attempts to restrain these messengers of God who are preaching Acts 5.20, the, 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 the message of this, this new life. Like human attempts to restrain these guys and to curtail their influence among the people had been divinely frustrated. Church family, this, church family, this is what the gospel does. Like th- I, I was meeting last week with one of our students uh, and his, his dad is an Indian missionary. He's a missionary in India. And he's telling me these stories of what, what's going on in India. And he, he mentioned that there was, um, pe- people are getting saved left and right. And, and there were these 13 people who trusted Jesus, and they were, they were baptized. And immediately, they were beaten. And he, and he said they'd actually been beaten uh, on a couple of different occasions, but they had remained steadfast in their faith in Jesus. And, and, and overall, we just, we, he talked about how the, the, the government there in India continues to clamp down on the church and like, persecution is is ramping up but guess what the gospel's exploding even despite this like tight grip of control the gospel is exploding in india so so that's what the gospel does last week we 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 talked about we talked about two value systems right the world's here's what the world values the world values self-righteousness Righteousness of man, they value self-glory, and they value stuff. Uh, the Aramaic word is mammon, just, just stuff. God's value system, God values his righteousness. God values his glory, and God values mercy for people, people who don't deserve his mercy. That's what God values. And so when people reject, check this out, when people reject the mercy of God, when people reject the, the glory of God, when, when people reject the authority of God over their lives and over the world, what, what ensues is this silly attempt to sort of like set up these control mechanisms over our lives and the lives of everybody else around, around you. Are y'all, are y'all with me? If you're, if you're with me, just nod your head. Like that's, what we, like, that's what we do when we reject these things about God. Then if he's not in control, then we got to be in control. So we set up all these control mechanisms. And we're, we're going to dive into the motives of the Sadducees in, 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 in our next point. But su- suffice it to say, their, their response, church, to, to like uh, persecute these guys, to, to lock them up, to keep them under their thumb. Listen, like all of that is only exposing they're, 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 they're desperate. Um, the, the apostles, 
they were stealing the, these guys' glory, right? <laughs> they, they, they weren't really. They were just pointing to the glory of Jesus. They were stealing their, their righteousness by pointing to the righteousness of Jesus. In a way, the apostles were stealing their stuff because now these guys couldn't rip people off at the temple because the apostles are like, hey, I don't want your silver. I don't want your stuff. I've got like this free grace. And so they're not over here pimping out religion for, for money. The, the gospel was wrecking these control mechanisms. It was wrecking their systems. And instead of offering religion that just kept people like steeped in, a, in this system of works and payment and self-righteousness, the apostles were leveling the playing field. They were speaking these, the word of life. They were speaking the word of Jesus. And so if, if Jesus alone was the source of righteousness, and if, if Jesus alone had, had uh, paid the penalty for people's sin by his death on the cross, if Jesus alone had conquered sin and death through his resurrection, then Jesus alone could, could bring the freedom that everybody was so desperate for. But y'all, it was, it was disrupting stuff. And, and, and let's make it personal, right, with this point. Let's, let's talk a little bit of application, then we're going to move on. Um, Christian, if you are continually gripped by fear, if, if you are continually, like if your life is a series of kind of endless like control mechanisms to control you, to control others, it is, it is revealing a lack of gospel-centeredness, okay? In John 8.32, Jesus said, um, uh, the, the, the word will set you free, Right? Um, and, and so uh, let, let the words of Jesus, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let the word of Jesus, let the truth of Jesus set you free by resting in his righteousness, in, in his authority. And, and, and wake up, wait, here, here's what I think all of us, hear me, here's what we need to wake up to, to, to kind of this reality. Um, your, your control over your life and, and your control over others is really an illusion from, from Satan. Like, that is, that is an illusion from your own, uh, from, from, from the enemy. Uh, God, like, God is in control, okay? God, God is in control, and the gospel is the only thing that can bring real freedom. Second thing this morning, we're going to look at verse 26 through 29. Uh, the gospel, here's another th- way it disrupts. The gospel releases us from people-pleasing to one primary allegiance. The gospel releases us from people-pleasing to one primary allegiance. Okay, you ready? All the introverts are like, oh my gosh, I need to go to the bathroom now. I'm about to have to get, talk to my neighbor. Hey, uh, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, the gospel releases. Look at your other neighbor and say, the gospel releases. See, there you go. I knew you could do it. 26 says this. Then the captain with the officers went and he brought them, but not by force. In the Greek, it's, it's like not by violence, <laughs> you think? For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, verse 28, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with this, with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, 
We must obey God rather than men. It says they brought him not by force. And so at this point, it is, it is evident that these cats are rethinking their strategy. Okay? Uh, on, a, on a side note, um, I don't know if you caught this. Notice, like, they don't even ask them how they got out. <laughs> Like, it's like, oh, by the way, you know, the, like the door was locked. We noticed all the guards were still. No, like, they don't even ask how they got out. Like, they just sk- skip that question. I, I tend to think they didn't want to know the, the answer. <laughs> they didn't want to know the, the supernatural answer. Um, but then at the end of, of verse 26, don't, don't gloss over 26. Be, because uh, at the end of the verse, it says, for they were afraid. They were afraid of of being stoned. Uh, ain't nobody like getting large rocks, boulders thrown at them. Um, they're afraid of the people. And, and it's important because what, it, what that's revealing is it's revealing the heart motivation of these, these Sadducees, these religious leaders. So, so backtrack a bit. It was only like a, a handful of weeks before this that these same Religious leaders had, had used their power and influence and, and they had stirred up the crowds and turned them against Jesus. So these crowds, they were, they were chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, they, those, these were the guys who had stirred that up. And so they knew what it was to manipulate a crowd and try to control it. And, and so, so uh, now... They're afraid of the uprising against them. I think they're, they, you know, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. They're thinking, well, man, uh, if, if the apostles take a page from our playbook, if they use our own tactics, man, we're in trouble. So these guys are afraid. And, and like the irony of this, and I know many of you weren't here a couple weeks ago as we preach, as I preached through Ananias and Sapphira, like the irony is that they're really afraid of like the crowds and Peter's in front of them. Like I would have been a little scared of Peter. Right? Uh, because apparently they hadn't gotten word about Ananias and Sapphira's death. Um, go look it up. It's a crazy story. It's kind of scary. Um, and, and, so, and so, but don't miss it. The Sadducees were people pleasers. They, they were consumed with appearances and approval. Let me say that again. The Sadducees were people pleasers. They were consumed with appearance, with approval and, and, and appearances. And, and, and nothing, <laughs> nothing illustrates the futility of people pleasing. So, so I, like, I, have, I have five kids. Um, our, we got four boys, um, Luke and Levi are middle school, which is nuts. Uh, Titus is third grade. Ben started kindergarten. It's the cutest thing ever because uh, he has like formal day and he's five and he has to wear this little tie. And anyway, Ruthie, our two year, nothing illustrates the futility of people pleasing. So Ruthie is our baby girl. Ruthie, Ruthie is two. And, and it's good. It's good that she's a cutie because um, she'll get up in the morning and like I'm like trying to decipher two year old language. And I need mommy translator, but mom's in the shower or whatever. And so, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, trying to uh, bring her, like, a stuffed animal. I'm trying to bring her, like, here's some milk. Oh, you're not in the sippy cup, in the big girl cup. And I'm like, do you want a rock? And she's not having any of it. 
Like she just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. It's like every other morning. She's just cranky, right? Um, and no matter no matter what I what, what I do, uh, she's she's gonna be upset with me. Like that's just how it rolls. Um, here's the truth. Hear me. Whether two or or eighty two, human hearts were not made to be fully and completely pleased by other humans. Let me say that again. I don't care if you're two. I don't care if you're 82. Human hearts were not made to be fully and completely pleased by other humans. Um, Scripture reveals our our hearts were hardwired and built for eternity. Um, they, They were made, our hearts were made for God. That, that's why people-pleasing leaves us empty. And Scripture is not silent about this. Proverbs 29, 29. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Galatians 1.10, Paul said this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of, of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord and not for man. And so, it, listen, it, it, if we, what does that mean? If we, if we don't live to please others, does that, does that like give us, uh, give everybody a <laughs> license to be a jerk, right? Uh, no. And, and, and in fact, like, if, if that's where you are, like, repent of that, right? Okay. Um, no, it doesn't give us a license to, to be jerks. It just means that once your primary allegiance is, is determined, uh, you don't have to play this exhausting game of idolizing, idolizing others' opinions and approval. Amen? Like, once your primary allegiance is determined, like, you don't have to walk, like, you don't have to play that game anymore. You don't have to idolize others' opinions and approval. Derek Thomas says this, we should be zealously committed to a single-minded desire to serve our Savior no matter what the cost may be. And so, so here, here's, here's the application, right? Um, just, just ask, like honestly, assess your heart, your, your motives, your desire. Are, are you living to, to be a people pleaser right now? Like, are you, are you, uh, is that, are you living to please others? Wake, wake up and realize that the gospel of Jesus has freed you from that. Um, You live for one primary allegiance. Verse 28, it's, it's significant because they, they reference Jerusalem being filled with their teaching, (laughs) Later in Acts, Paul, the religious leaders would accuse Paul in Acts 17.6 that he had turned the, the whole world upside down with his teaching, which is, I think is a pretty high compliment. Talk about a disruption. Um, but but connect, connect the dots with the people-pleasing church because when, when you crucify your people-pleasing and when your allegiance is dialed into God alone, it's actually for others' ultimate good. 
Think about this. Like, if we all walk around trying to give each other what we want, like, half the stuff we want is, like, terrible, right? Like, half the stuff we want, like, is not even good for us. Like, probably more than half. Let's just be honest. Like, if, like, every fleshly desire, if we, if we walk around trying to please all that, like, it's not going to lead to any more fulfillment or purpose or significant. So, like, when you're living for, like, hey, we live to please God, you actually are now, you, you want to give people what they need, not what they want. And, and so you speak Jesus and you speak life into others. Which is what we really, that's what we need. Um, and, and so as, as this section closes out at the end of verse 28, we, we see this um, kind of chink in, in the religious armor of the Pharisees, right? Because you think, oh, these guys, they have it all together. They're righteous. They're, uh, you know, they, they've got all the power, the prestige, all the righteousness. And then you realize, oh, actually, no, they're just racked with guilt. They're really just plagued with, with guilt, uh, they're like, hey, man, don't, don't, don't bring this, this guy's blood on us. Too late. <laughs> Too late. Because as the name of Jesus continues to saturate Jerusalem, their city, and is, is about to spread outward, every gospel conversion, every gospel conversation about Jesus is a reminder that they, that they were responsible for his murder. And F.F. Bruce says this, it was the Romans who crucified Jesus, but the chief priestly authorities were responsible for handing him over to them. And Matthew 27, 25, it was the, it was the religious leaders who had said, uh, it was they who said, his blood be on us and our children. Third thing this morning. Close out with verse 30 through 32. Third thing, the, the gospel reveals who is leading your life. The gospel reveals who is leading your life. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, the gospel reveals. reveals. Y'all are much more lively than the 9 a.m. service. But I think it's just because moms and dads were distracted parenting during the service. Uh, the gospel reveals. So look at verse 30 says this, Peter said, we, we got to obey God rather than men. And then verse 30, the God of our fathers, I love this, raised Jesus, whom you killed, <laughs> how's that for guilt, by, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. See, this is what I love about verse 30. Uh, when, when, when they say that uh, Jesus is, is the God of our fathers, raised Jesus. They're talking to the Sadducees. <laughs> The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And, and, but, but just if you're, if you're keeping count, right, if you're keeping uh, kind of track, Acts 4, Peter and John are preaching the gospel. Hey, Christ crucified, he's raised, like he, he's uh, the author of salvation. So they're preaching the gospel. Uh, they get arrested, thrown into prison. Uh, Acts 5, all the apostles preaching the gospel, they get arrested miraculously an angel like busts them out of prison. They go back to the temple, start preaching the gospel. Then the religious leaders track them down again, right? Uh, they start questioning them. What, what's their response? Shocker. They, they start sharing the gospel. 
And just for good measure, they, they remind all these like guilt-laden uh, dudes that actually, you know what? You did kill Jesus by hanging him on a tree, which in the Old Testament was a sign of cursing. But far from being cursed, verse 31, God exalted Jesus to his right hand as leader and as Savior. And, and I love that Greek word for, for leader is archegos. And it, it means founder of a movement. It means pioneer. One, one commentator said it emits its trailblazer. So Jesus was our pioneer. Jesus was our trailblazer. And you say, well, well what, how did he lead out? Well, look, Jesus pioneers something that no, none of us could do. He pioneered first the opportunity for repentance. Look at the verse. It says, it's significant because it says, leader and Savior Jesus gives repentance. What this is telling us, church, is that without without, repentance, the work of Jesus, like without the message of the gospel, without the work of the Holy Spirit of God in us, like repentance is not just something we can manufacture on our own. If Jesus is the leader in giving repentance, listen, it's like this. It's not like you just wake up one day and you're like, gosh, man, like I'm just so, I'm just so tired of all my sin. I think I'm just going to stop. You know, I, you know I, I'd, I'd like to just stop now, and I'd like to change everything. And you know what? I'm just going to give complete control of my life to someone else. I'm just going to do that. No, what this is revealing is that without trailblazer Jesus leading the way, that doesn't even happen. And then notice how else he leads and he saves. It says he, he gives forgiveness. There's an interesting passage if you want to jot this down, in Ezekiel 13, where God is condemning the prophets of Israel because they had been, they were speaking this false word of peace over the nation of Israel. They were telling them peace when the nation, the people were just continuing in their sin and doing whatever the heck they wanted to do. And and, and church fam, I, I know I know the culture, man, the culture loves to tell you that, listen, just all you need to do is you just, you just need to forgive yourself, right? That's what the culture says. But here's what Acts 5 is revealing. Unless self-forgiveness is rooted in what Jesus has already spoken over your life through your faith in him, that is a false word of peace. Let me say that again. Unless your self-forgiveness is rooted in what Jesus has accomplished at the cross and what He has already spoken over your life through your faith in Him, you are speaking a false word of peace over your sin. I'll never forget, I mean, it was almost 10 years ago, sitting in a worship service at at a mega church. And, and, and the pastor, the preacher gets up and he's preaching an entire message on forgiveness. And he, he's talking about Confucius and he, he quotes from, he quoted from some books and he quoted from some psychologists and he shared some stories and they were good, they were good stories, but he never got to the cross. Like how, how are you going to be a gospel minister and not and talk about forgiveness and not go back to the source of forgiveness, the cross of Jesus? Listen, Jesus, Jesus has gone before you. 
And, and praise God, forgiveness comes through His work on the cross, not through some empty declaration we just say over our lives. We can't, we can't remove the, the, the stain of, of guilt, the, the guilt of sin ourselves. Jesus had to, he has to take the lead on that. And, and then finally, you see that Jesus, not only does he give repentance, not does he lead that way, not, not only does he lead through giving forgiveness, it says he, God also gives the spirit. He gives us himself. John 16, 13, Jesus said he'd give us the spirit and the spirit would guide us in all truth. Um, and, and so, Christian, what that means is this. Ready? If, if you are filled, Christian, if you are filled with the Spirit of God that God promised He would give, it means this. You are not leading your life. God is. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you are not leading your life. God is. And th- that's a good thing. <laughs> like, that like I, I don't I don't I don't know about y'all like I kind of mess my stuff up right like I like that is a good thing Jesus as a leader is is so much better so much better than where I would go or what I would be doing the things that I'd be pursuing thinking that I'm going after life Jesus said in John sixty six sixty three it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. And, and, and so here's the, here's some application with this point. Ready? When, when, when we are living out of our flesh, basically when we're just kind of living for the stuff of this world, right? Self-righteousness, self-glory stuff. Like when we're living out of our flesh, the Holy Spirit the the word of God, the community of God really like doesn't even factor into our decision making. Like it, like it, it really has no sway over how we're living, what we're doing. But when you're following the lead of King Jesus, you're, you are following the one. You are following the one who has led and, and trailblazed. He has pioneered. He's gone before you, and he's given you repentance. He's given you forgiveness. He's given you his spirit. And like that is worth the surrender. Like that is worth the submission. Like, but the gospel disrupts. Absolutely, the gospel disrupts, but it's it's a good disruption. Amen. Like it's, it is a it, we like we need our control mechanisms disrupted. Amen. Like we we need our people pleasing disrupted. Like I, maybe maybe your people pleasing has been like a great source of like life and encouragement for you, um, but I'm guessing probably not. Like we we need our self leadership of of our lives disrupted, because I'm guessing that that whole like leading yourself probably probably not working out real well either. Now and I'll close I'll close with this this morning we. I'll close with this. Uh, I love uh, at Restoration. We've we've got a lot of uh, new uh, new families uh, that are coming to our nine, and, and we got a lot of new babies. So we've got uh, four, three, four, five uh, parents that just have had babies over the last month or two. Uh, and in this this last week, our 
our restoration, our RCB uh, children's minister, Tori, uh, rolled back up to the office with their little four-week-old baby girl, Selah. And uh, I, was, I was thinking about this. Um, new, new parents, like just ask them, uh, new parents know this. Their, their stuff has been straight disrupted, <laughs> right? Like, like the, the few mamas in the room were like, amen. Um, sleepless nights, new schedules, new routines, new inconveniences, like new everything, new feelings, right? Like new emotions, new way of thinking. But, but hear me, like it's a disruption. But, but hear me, it's so worth it. It is so worth it because that, that new life that you hold in that new life that, that you're now responsible for, man, it is amazing. Listen, Christian, the, the new life that you hold, that you have in Christ is everything. It is everything. And it is hard. It is hard. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, listen, um, let me be clear. If you don't know Jesus, like don't, don't follow Jesus. Don't trust him because it'll make things easier. Like ask the apostles. Like you're going to be sorely dis- disappointed. Like, you don't follow Jesus because it's easier. Like it's the easier route. No, you trust and follow Jesus because you believe that he is the source of truth. You, you trust and you follow Jesus because He is the source of righteousness. You follow Jesus because He is your only hope of salvation and rescue from hell and your hope of repentance and, and forgiveness and purpose. That's why you follow Jesus. But know this, He will disrupt everything. But gospel disruption is the best kind of disruption. Amen? It is, it is peace disrupting brokenness. It, it, is, it, it's, it is hope disrupting uh, despair. It, it, is, it is freedom disrupting bondage. And it is life disrupting death. So the question is, is, is Jesus the source of your life? Y'all pray with me this morning.